Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI Institute, where we have real conversations about real safety issues in healthcare. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Today, we're talking about cybersecurity and implantable medical devices. A recent safety warning from the Food and Drug Administration highlights a vulnerability in certain implanted cardiac devices, raising concerns that these life-saving devices could be susceptible to malfunctions caused by hackers. We'll take a look at the scope of the issue and just how worried patients should be. Okay, to get us started, I'll ask each of our two guests to introduce themselves. Chad Waters, Senior Cybersecurity Engineer within Health Devices. And Yusha Lainanen, Senior Project Engineer at the Health Devices Group. So recently we had a FDA warning about cybersecurity vulnerability with some Medtronic implantable devices. To set the stage, make sure we all understand what we're talking about here, I wonder, Chad or Yusho, if you could give us some more details about that warning. So these implantable devices, the way that they communicate with the programmer or the monitor would be through a radio frequency. And the protocol through the frequency has been discovered to be vulnerable. This is a very minimal range frequency within 20 to 30 feet. So the impact isn't very large. So when we say vulnerability, I wonder if we can make that a little bit more concrete. If I'm a bad actor and I know that you have one of these vulnerable devices and I'm near enough to you to do something about it, what exactly could I do? So I think overall it could impact device operation. You could modify certain settings and modify therapies uh, as well as potential exposure of uh, patient health information. So we're talking both a clinical safety issue as well as an information release risk. I'll call it maybe a confidentiality or privacy risk. Yeah, confidentiality. Okay. Let's talk in a little bit more detail about the vulnerabilities that we're describing. And first, let's look at confidentiality. What kind of information does the implantable device communicate? To whom does it communicate it? In other words, what would be vulnerable if that confidentiality was breached? So in this case, the ICD can communicate with the home station on a daily basis to convey information about, for example, battery status or other health information related to the patient's heart condition, which is then can be sent to the doctor directly. And so this is not just anonymous information that's specific to the device. It would be identifiable to an individual patient, potentially. Correct. And so the reason that we want these devices to share this kind of information is to... Sharing information through this system can introduce efficiencies. For example, the doctor could identify a condition remotely, which previously might have required a hospital visit for the patient. So it sounds like we're easing the burden on both ends, both for the patient, but also for the provider who maybe previously would have had to schedule, you know, schedule office time for a patient visit, but now can digest that information remotely. Correct. We also talked about some of the clinical implications here and acknowledging my my limited understanding of these devices, but in in general, they're monitoring a patient's heart rhythms and either shocking or not shocking based on that. So is a worst-case scenario that someone with bad intent could cause a device to shock when it shouldn't or not shock when it should. So in the absolute worst case scenario, you could modify some of the settings contained within the device, which could in turn lead to the patient not receiving the treatment they need. Again, ICDs are life-sustaining devices that can either 
provide pacing functionality or alternatively detect irregular heart rhythm and provide appropriate shocks in relation to that. So a configuration changes to the device could potentially lead to the patient not getting the treatment they need. Chad, I think we talked about one of the other actions that somebody could take would be to do something that would cause the battery to drain. Yes. In some other vulnerabilities and other devices, there is a potential to cause the battery to drain in a much more rapid succession than it should and potentially cause issues there. That's definitely a big deal because, again, implantable devices, you're, you can expect them to last all the way up to 10 years or more. And again, you can easily recharge those batteries, at least and not as of yet. So this warning, this FDA announcement, was about one particular kind of device. Is this issue something that's unique to that kind of device, or is this more general, a more broad-based kind of vulnerability than that? No, the, pretty much any implantable device could potentially be vulnerable. There's ICDs and pacemakers, as well as insulin pumps and neurostimulators as well. So this is not even manufacturer-specific? This particular vulnerability is manufacturer. So the idea of cybersecurity risk is not? Yes. So given that this is a broad-based concern, it's not limited to one manufacturer or one kind of device, is this just something we have to live with in 2019 because of how the devices communicate? Correct, yes. The main concern is that these devices are implanted within the person, so there's two factors that are in play here. There is, you need battery life, and in doing so, the device has to be very resource efficient, so there's not an opportunity to do the encryption standards that we're used to in other devices, as well as the fact that it's most of these are actually within a person's body. There's no way to communicate with it except through radio frequency. You uh, cannot install a USB port to, to charge <laughs> somebody and, uh, and program them. So because the devices are implanted, the only way to do anything with regard to you know, changing system settings or extracting information from the device has always required some kind of remote communication. So definitely implantable devices have always required some way of remotely configuring them, mostly relying on something that's happening within close proximity to the patient. But now with the expansion of network-connected devices and really remote monitoring, where the device is sending data to a home station, which then on forwards that data perhaps to the clinician, has enabled efficiencies in the patient's treatment, for example, quickly responding to a concern that is seen through the data. But again, that obviously, from the exposure perspective, so obviously when you have a network-connected device, you have a greater exposure to potential vulnerabilities. Yeah, instead of just being the implanted device itself, now you're looking at the auxiliary devices that maintain it. You so mentioned that these devices communicate with a home station. Are there other kinds of maybe ancillary pieces of technology that might also be receiving from the implanted devices and that might, you know, therefore also have some vulnerability? Yes. For instance, insulin pumps will pair up with smartphones to send data out to the cloud and record and store data over time. So the fact that that information is in the cloud, does that introduce, I would assume, even another layer of vulnerability? Yes, there could be vulnerabilities within the mobile app itself and also the, the storage and cloud application as well. 
So some of the onus on managing that falls to you know the developer of the app or the owner of the the quote unquote owner of the cloud storage. But does the patient have any new responsibilities? Again, if they have an app on their phone, is there something that they would need to do or be aware of? Well, they need to be aware of where their data is going. Once it's beyond them, it is, of course, on the onus of the server, the vendor. So let's say I'm a patient and I have one of these ICDs or pacemakers implanted, and I catch wind of this warning from FDA. What's my panic meter? Just how worried should I be? You should definitely keep using your device. The clinical benefits of you having an ICD greatly outweigh the security risk that is presented in these reports. Obviously, it's something that the security risk shouldn't be ignored, and it should be addressed by the manufacturer, and that's something that you might want to talk to your physician about. I'd like to add that they found by people that are actually uh, patients that have these devices within them, and uh, they continue to use them as well. So if patients are some of the folks who are finding these vulnerabilities, how are they doing that? Are there folks who are looking for this kind of vulnerability? How are we finding them? A lot of them are security professionals in other fields. It says something to me then that the manufacturer became aware of this information. And I think it says something very positive that once they became aware of that information, they were very transparent and took steps to disseminate the information and get it out there. Yes, correct. And I I think this is a demonstration of a, a responsible disclosure of a vulnerability where a security researcher has either reached through directly to the manufacturer and or the FDA to provide knowledge of this vulnerability, as well as with the hopes that the manufacturer would mitigate that concern. Again, having a joint release both from the FDA as well as the device vendor to provide guidance to both clinicians who might be implanting these devices as well as patients in terms of what to do next in relation to this vulnerability is really important. And you, so I don't think this is the first such example that we've seen. I think we've seen other cases where a manufacturer and FDA work together to get information out to the public. Absolutely. There's definitely been previous cybersecurity-related notices from both vendors as well as the FDA. In this idea of manufacturers sharing information, I think it's really important that we give Medtronic some credit for their transparency and getting this information out to the public. Yes, absolutely. And this is a trend that Ecker Institute has seen through working with a number of medical device vendors where more and more manufacturers coming out and responsibly disclosing vulnerabilities that exist within their products, as well as providing mitigations and updates as necessary. So when security vulnerabilities come out, we shouldn't only be pointing fingers at the manufacturer to say that their product is faulty. Yes, there's a fault that needs to be addressed. However, this manufacturer is being proactive in terms of communicating about it, putting it to appropriate context, as well as addressing the final mitigation. And this gets to what we were talking about, Chad, right? This is how these devices communicate. We're not to the point yet where we're going to start implanting USB ports in people. So this is just kind of inherent in how implantable devices communicate. Correct. Most of these devices are still on RF, and they probably will be. Encryption is a resource-heavy control. We're not there yet. We'll probably be seeing a lot more of these vulnerabilities coming through. And that's exactly what ECRI Institute has seen over the course of the past few years. More and more vendors are reporting about vulnerabilities with their medical devices, 
In fact, last year, we covered 36 specific medical device-related vulnerabilities that were disclosed by manufacturers. However, it's important to note that this still represents a fairly small number of uh, medical device vendors out of all the medical device vendors that are out there. So there's a potential for this to significantly increase. So we talked about patients and what their level of worry should be. And I think, you, so, you know, we said the bottom line is talk to your provider. I want to take it then from the provider's perspective, and I actually want to look at two different scenarios. So let's start there. So if I'm a provider and I have a patient come to me and says that they have one of these devices implanted, what should I be prepared to tell that patient? And I think that's an example where you definitely want to have your talking points ready as a clinician. First of all, be aware of the problem and explain to the patient that while this security vulnerability does exist, the clinical benefits of the device currently definitely outweigh the security risk presented. Secondly, also to identify that both the manufacturer as well as the FDA are currently working on this problem to have a final mitigation in terms of an update. And is that similar to the conversation you'd have with a patient who, you know, who doesn't currently have a device but is in need of one and is coming into the provider for that consultation? I think overall, that's something that now with more and more medical devices, whether it's implantable or otherwise becoming connected and used by patients at home or outside of the hospital setting, it's important to outline these are the clinical benefits, but also discuss through any security-related concerns, especially as it pertains to network-connected devices or devices that can communicate remotely, like in this particular instance. One of the things that we talked about briefly was this idea of the distinction between a device that is not implanted but is used in the hospital, for example, uh, an infusion pump, which has its own potential cybersecurity vulnerabilities, but we're talking about implantable devices. And one of the big differences, which you guys have shared with me off-air, is that these devices are now, so to speak, out in the wild. They're not in the controlled environment of the hospital. What additional challenges does that pose? There's definitely a lot of scheduling getting a patient in. A doctor is very busy and uh, to now have the burden of, and to bring these uh, patients in to essentially patch their devices is another task that they need to uh, consider throughout their days. And it's definitely important to note that when we have a medical device in a hospital environment, we're talking about a controlled setting where security controls can be fairly easily put in place to try to promptly respond and mitigate any identified risks or vulnerabilities in relation to the device security. However, when we're talking about the device that's implanted or in home use, that environment can change drastically and it is essentially out in the wild in this uncontrolled environment where applying those mitigations is not as straightforward. So what's our bottom line? And I want to take that you know, maybe from two perspectives. What is the bottom line if I'm a patient? And what is the bottom line if I'm a provider? If you're a patient, don't panic. Just talk to your doctor and discuss the issues and just realize that these are very targeted attacks that really have a low risk. And definitely as a clinician, be prepared with your key talking points, how you're going to respond in case your patient brings up this particular concern. Putting it to the appropriate context for the patient is going to be important. Ensuring that while this is a security risk, the clinical benefits of the device outweigh that risk definitely at present. 
And also definitely important to remember, as with any vulnerability, again, this is not a game of pointing fingers to manufacture. And I think ultimately it is important to recognize that medical device cybersecurity is not a single device problem. Medical device cybersecurity, whether it's implantable devices in patients' homes or whether it's about medical devices in a hospital, it is an industry problem. And a key to solving this is being transparent about the shortcomings so we can take actionable and practical steps to address them. All right, Chad, Yuso, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks. For more information on implantable device cybersecurity, see today's episode notes. You'll find a link to the FDA warning we've been discussing and related content available to ECRI Institute members. We'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast. Find us online at ecri.org podcasts and email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org. <laughs>